Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Dr. Reese Morgan on, who's the director of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Hi, Dr. Reese. Hello, how are you doing, guys? All good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's dark and rainy and quite miserable, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I've got a beer, actually, so I'm quite cheerful. Oh, good, good, good end to the day. Um, yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you, you and also the Royal Academy? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, I am an engineer by background. I'm a materials engineer, I suppose. Um, I started my career, well, well uh, university, I spent, um, I spent 12 years at university, which uh, uh, people seem rather astonished by. Um, uh, and, um, but I ended up doing a degree and then a master's degree and then a PhD in 3d printing, which, uh, lots of your listeners, I'm sure I've learned about, but I was doing this in 1996. So this was pretty much the first 3d printing in the UK, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, so I spent uh, a long time doing that and I became a researcher in universities and so on. Um, finally got a job in industry, uh, didn't like it very much, uh, so went back to academia, uh, and then my wife got pregnant and said, you really need to get a proper job with proper money. Um, <laughs> so I ended up in the Royal Academy of Engineering. Wow. Um, the Royal Academy of Engineering is one of the UK's four national academies. So you have the Royal Society, which is like the oldest learned society in the world. And it had like Isaac Newton and uh, John Flamsteed and um, uh, who's the guy who did the diaries? Pete, Samuel Pete. Um, He was like the secretary of the original first committee of the Royal Society. Um, So they're like 360 plus years old. Mm. and very, very learned and honourable and so on. Uh, the Royal Academy of Engineering, we're just youngsters. We're only kind of 42 years old. Um, <laughs> but there's also the British Academy, which looks after social sciences and um, uh, humanities. And then we have the Academy of Medical Sciences as well, which looks after medicine. And so these four national academies are kind of their fellowships of the top people in their profession. So we have uh, 1,500 of the top engineers across the whole of the UK. Uh, Half of them are from industry. So you get like the chief exec of Rolls-Royce or the chief engineer from National Grid and companies like that. Uh, And half are from uh, academia. So you get like the dean of engineering at Cambridge University or the pro vice chancellor of research at Aston University or things like that. Um, And uh, yeah, so so there's a fellowship of the, the top engineers and um, basically we do lots of things, but mainly uh, we do um, policy advice to government. So we, uh, so we're, you know, if government's really interested in net zero, big topic at the moment, how do we make sure that, you know, how do we get the uh, UK to be a net zero economy by 2050? So they ask the engineers and we give them independent advice and guidance on what it takes to actually achieve net zero. Uh, but we also do other things. We support um, researchers at universities, we help um, startups. So we uh, help uh, uh, young engineers, not just young engineers, but uh, engineers who've got a really great idea and they think, oh, I might create a company. Um, and so we'll help fund them uh, to like um, build their company into something kind of uh, big and uh, meaningful. Wow. And, uh, and then, yeah, and the final thing, it, what I do 
specifically is around education and skills. So my job is trying to get more kids into engineering. And so what is it you do to try and get more kids into engineering? Sit uh, in meetings drinking a lot of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My kids, uh, I've totally failed with both my daughters. I've got a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. But my 14-year-old was, um, when she was about eight or nine, she said, I want to be an engineer, but a real one, not like my dad, because my dad (laughs) just (laughs) sits in meetings drinking coffee with other people. Um, uh, uh, Now she just uh, has totally given up and wants to be an artist or a designer or something. I have, I have hope that you know, the pendulum will swing uh, right the way around and she'll, she'll eventually come, come around again. Um, yeah, so what we do is we have, um, we do uh, programs in schools, so we do lots of kind of STEM activities, so I'm sure uh, lots of young people in, uh, listening to the podcast have, have done some kind of STEM outreach activity in school. Um, where we get, you know, we do like, a, um, I don't know, a typical STEM activities like spaghetti bridge building where uh, kids have to try and build a, a bridge and hold as much weight as possible using just marshmallows and um, dry spaghetti. That's on the kind of boring end of the spectrum of uh, uh, engineering outreach activities. On the kind of really exciting end, there's um, like robot, uh, doing robot wars and things like that. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, so we do um, we do stuff like that. But a lot of the work as well is um, uh, advising government. So speaking to the Department for Education, uh, the policy people there on, you know, what it takes to get more kids interested in engineering. Um, the other thing we do, we run a big campaign called This Is Engineering. Uh, and again, some of your listeners might have seen this uh, on their social media platforms. So it's a kind of series of short videos showing really interesting engineers who you wouldn't think of. So, so things they're doing, you wouldn't think of as being engineering um, usually. So we try and kind of get people to think, oh, I never thought about that as being an engineer. So for example, we've got uh, Olivia, who is the um, smell engineer for Lush Cosmetics. Okay. Oh, wow, that's quite so, cool. Yeah, yeah, so she's a chemical engineer. And she basically spends all her day kind of working out the like best chemicals for smells and then how to make those on an industrial scale to make loads of bath bombs and soaps and things like that. Um, so yeah, so we got, uh, uh, she's a, an amazing uh, engineer. We've also got, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the names of all these people now. Um, we've got one engineer who is, um, he's uh, Joshua, he's really cool. He, uh, if there's like a, a earthquake, uh, somewhere in the world, he's like uh, shipped off really quickly by um, plane, not by ship, um, <laughs> to uh, to the to the earthquake zone, where he uses his kind of structural engineering skills to make sure that like they put all the right braces in on the building that's just collapsed, so that they can go and rescue people underneath the uh, all the rubble and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so engineers do all these amazing things that uh, young people and the public generally just haven't got a clue about. And so part of our role is to kind of uh, get people seeing those and thinking, oh, I never thought about that. Maybe I could do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I studied engineering at university and I'm, I'm currently uh, an engineer. As a, Are you? As a, yeah, I am. As a, um, 
in offsite construction. Um, and I never expected to be in offsite construction, and I didn't know that houses were built in a factory. So, so offsite construction is really cool, isn't it? Yeah, I really yeah, like absolutely. it. Um, I went to Germany. So the other thing I do um, occasionally is um, do a series of TV programs called Impossible Engineering. Yes, um, this is where this is where I saw you, and I thought, oh, right, we'll really? get him on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is really fun. So basically, um, they. Um, you take a, like a mega structure, like like the Three Gorges Dam in China, or like the like the largest floating offshore wind platform, or something like that. And then you look at all the advances through history that have um, that have created uh, that have been uh, enabled this new kind of mega structure to happen. So I've done some amazing things. I've stood on the core of a nuclear reactor in Austria. Wow. Um, it wasn't on. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the important point there. Otherwise, I'd be like uh, green right now. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I've been, I've like climbed down the side of a dam in France. Uh, that was really cool. And I've like, um, I've white water rafted on the Tiber uh, in Rome uh, to look at this Roman bridge that was built in 62 AD and it's still standing. It's really that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, Although there were there were literally dead rats floating past me on the raft, it was quite disgusting. Um, yeah, but um, but we did a program about um, uh, flat pack houses, yeah. and uh, it, so I went to Germany. So Germany are amazing at these kind of flat pack houses. They just build them all in the factory, and then you take them onto the site, and they build them in like three days. Yeah, like, that's the way to solve our UK housing problem, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. I want to know more about what you do for uh, um, uh, the uh, pre-fabrication, off-site fabrication. But uh, the program is, I suppose, about me, not you. So. <laughs> we'll see so. later. Um, what I would like to know is, is, is the Royal Institute involved in any of the um, other engineering bodies, such as uh, chartered engineers uh, in mechanical, structural, anything like that? Oh my God, you are so up on your knowledge of the professional engineering community. Um, except you called us the Royal Institution, which is um, the organization that does the Christmas lectures. Oh. Do you remember, you know, the Royal Institution Christmas lectures? They're on like TV every year. Yes, Christmas. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're not them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're the Royal Academy of Engineering, okay. um, uh, just to be really picky. Um, yeah, so uh, we, um, so yeah, we're kind of um, affiliated with all those engineering um, institutions. So uh, yeah, there are 40 different professional engineering institutions. So if you become uh, an engineer and you want to have letters after your name, like a CNG, Chartered Engineer, um, then you, you become a member of one of these engineering institutions. So and there are some that are like really big and famous, like the Institute of Civil Engineers or the Institute of Mechanical Engineers or the Institute of uh, Engineering Technology, which used to be the electrical engineers, but they got rid of that bit. Um, uh, but there's a really kind of long, long list of uh, other much smaller institutions. Like, the, uh, I love the Cast Metal Engineers, the Institution of Cast Metal Engineers, which I think is really sweet. Um, and the Institution of uh, Plumbing and Heating Engineers, uh, which I think is really important because we all need plumbing and heating. Um, and uh, my one of my favorites is uh, the Institution of Railway Signal Engineers. I just think of like people kind of meeting to talk about railway signals uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in like 
you know, wood panelled rooms with uh, cups of coffee and then uh, yeah. you know, a dinner and, and, um, and then port. <laughs> <laughs> port, very nice. So what, what really fired your uh, passion for engineering? What got you into it? Um, yeah, I mean, so I've, I've thought about this a lot. Oh, okay, so there's a few reasons, actually. Um, when I was young, like Lego obviously played a really important part because Lego was just the ubiquitous building um, toy for all kids. Um, and so I loved building stuff with Lego. Then I, um, I, uh, I li- my dad was a vicar and we lived in a, a, a vicarage next to the church and there were bats in the church and I made a bat detector, which I was really proud oh, of, cool. which was basically a loudspeaker, a wire and an aerial. Um, it didn't work. But I just really felt like I'd created this. Yeah, I'd innovated and engineered this like bat detector. I'd I'd listen out for bats (laughs) in the dusk uh, during the summer. Um, And so I was like, yeah, so there's always things like that. But actually, uh, the thing that probably did it most for me was uh, I'm a drummer. I started off playing the drums when I was about five. And then by the time I was like 11 or 12, I thought, I want to build my own drum. I want to design drums. I want to like make really beautifully you know constructed drums and i really want to understand like the acoustics and stuff like that so i really got into right this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna become a, like a drum engineer um so i i did my a levels and uh actually failed them quite badly uh misspent youth uh, uh drinking white cider on the street corners and things like that um <laughs> Well, I should have been revising. Um, and I also, actually, I turned up late from my A-level maths exam uh, by about an hour. I'm surprised they even let me in. Uh, so, yeah, so I did, so I did really badly uh, at my A-levels. Anyway, eventually, uh, I managed to get into clearing. I got uh, through UCAS clearing uh, through university. And um, they put me on a foundation year. And so I, uh, I did... I got into a degree, which is the, the best thing ever, because had I had to reset my A-levels, I probably never would have made it. I uh, did in acoustics, and then we did the kind of lectures on the um, mathematics of acoustics. And it's so hard, and the math is so hard. Uh, I was just like, I never do this again in my life. Uh, so I completely gave up on uh, uh, drum engineering. <laughs> and I got into lasers, which is so much cooler. Hey, absolutely. So, where did your love? I assume you became a polymer engineer um, as a materials engineer, as you did three D printing. Where? How did that come about? Ah, so uh, you're wrong. Ah. Actually, uh, who's this? Is this Dan or no, this is Julie? No, that's the engineer. That's the only reason uh, he's here. He's, he's got it wrong. <laughs> so, actually, I'm a, a, I'm a, a metals engineer. Okay. And we were, I was using high power lasers, very cool, to melt metal powder um, into kind of 2D shapes. So you know how 3D printing works. You, know, you yeah. do it layer so by yours layer. So more laser sintering. So laser sintering, exactly. So literally, we'd, uh, and, and to begin with, you know, I had a zero kit. All I had was a laser and uh, um, like a, a bench and stuff like that. So I would literally have to get some metal powder roll it out with a rolling pin and then just draw a square using my laser and see like what power and what speed I needed to go at to make the, the powder turn into a kind of solid. Yes. Um, and, 
and so eventually we I kind of worked out okay this is you know these are the different laser power parameters etc um and then right let's now add another layer of powder on top so i literally use a sieve and sprinkle <laughs> another layer of powder and then use a rolling pin i mean it was the most ridiculous looking back on it it was not high tech at all um yeah and then i'd see if i could get the right laser power to melt the top layer to the bottom layer um yeah and so literally that's how we started off with um turning you know getting metals to to bond together um uh, layer by layer and we were pretty much the first uh, one of the first people in the world to do this actually um in liverpool university uh so that's that was quite cool so this like yeah 1996 97 that is cool uh, yeah and how what happened after that i assume that was for your phd um yes yeah, so that was for my phd um but my phd actually my phd was only um funded for uh two years um my my boss didn't tell me this when i started it uh my phd supervisor had only got two years funding so when the third year came along uh he said oh look we've run out of money <laughs> uh so um so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna get a uh, little consultancy jobs uh and we'll just fund you through little consultancy jobs so you'll have to become a part-time phd student i was like fine i was really enjoying university this is liverpool in the 19 19- 1990 mid 1990s it was an amazing party town i was just having the time of my life so um so i was like yeah great okay so we got all these different like consultancy jobs and one of them uh, i remember was uh, these guys uh turned up and they said look we we're really interested in whether you can laser sinter um uh this uh, this special material that we've got i'm like okay yeah what's the special material and he said well we've got the ashes of dead uh, pets. Uh, and I was like, what? Yeah. Oh so, my God. Yeah. They said, look, we, you know, we think there's a really big market for people to like make something like jewels or something like that out of the ashes of their dead animals. So we're like, oh, right. Okay. Let's try this. <laughs> okay. so, we, so we just like turn the laser to like full power and, um, and then yeah we just like see if we could just like melt like the bones but you had to like again we had to sit because like when the the ashes were brought to us like there'd still be like bits of jawbone and like dog's teeth and stuff oh like this so, so we had to like sieve it all away just so we had the nice smooth kind of particles and uh yeah and then we started just trying to make like jewelry did it work uh, well it kind of did and then they were kind saying of. it kind of did what what happened you made this like really big black mass like um what's that like black gemstone what's it called it's like, like an, um, is it like it's not an opal is it i was gonna not, say opal not, no yeah not opal um it's something like that like something obsidian. Like that. Anyway. obsidian maybe Ob- obsidian yeah yeah you get that in minecraft don't you my my yeah that's it yeah always, always talk about obsidian in minecraft um no oh uh, no no oh i had it in uh not onyx. Uh, um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, so they 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 were then saying, look, we could even do this. Not in the UK because the uh, the the rules and the regulations are too strict, but we could do it um, in the US. We could actually like laser sinter like people's ashes. Oh um, my god! And then like you could make a pair of earrings, and you could say, oh, nice earrings, and you could say, yeah, they're my grandma's. <laughs> 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 wow oh dear me 
so anyway, so yeah, so we did lots of different projects like that. Um, we did a few for like um, Her Majesty's Secret Services, which I can't, still can't talk about because I have to sign, uh, you know, uh, secret, what is, it, what is it called? Like official secrets act and stuff like that. Um, you, you were basically, you were Q for a little bit. I was, yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> like, uh, can you make this for us? Oh, well, I'll try. Um, <clears throat> but um, they, they were not as successful. Um, and then, um, but then we got into making hip replacements for uh, pets. Again, weirdly, I don't know what this thing about pets was, yeah. uh, but um, uh, it's much less difficult for the regulations to make um, uh, uh, surgical implants for pets, I suppose, than it is for humans. Um, so we'd make, um, yeah, so we started making like hip replacements for pets and uh, it was um, it was really good, uh, and we yeah we actually my boss then made the company out of it, and uh, uh, has made loads of millions of pounds. Um, oh. <laughs> I know, really annoying. I left <laughs> to go and uh, uh, do other stuff, and he just carried on with it. And now yeah, he's like a millionaire, and I'm still working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really so annoying. So for engineers, I know that you're going to tell me that it doesn't exist, but for an average day for an engineer, is it, what's it like? What are you working on? What are some of the things people listening can go, actually, yeah, I, I like doing stuff like that. I'll, I'll get involved in engineering. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, and of course it will differ before, uh, between the different kind of companies you work for. So I, um, and I've worked in uh, various uh, different kind of places. A lot, um, so a lot of the time, uh, engineers will be like designing things. So it depends on the grade as well. So if you go in as like a technician type engineer, so if you do an apprenticeship, and apprenticeships are really good these days, and engineering apprenticeships are some of the highest paid of all apprenticeships. Um, so they're really good. And a lot of apprentices will carry on into the kind of professional uh, managerial levels of a company. And in fact, we've got some of our fellows who are like, you know, the most senior engineers in the, in the whole country have started off as, as apprentices. So they're actually really good routes in uh, to engineering. Um, if you're doing that kind of thing, you're more working uh, like on the tools, which means you know, you're, you're, you're machining things, you're, um, you're maybe working on um, uh, uh, CAD systems, drawing stuff and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of uh, the apprenticeship route. Uh, actually, the manufacturing side, making stuff. Um, whereas the professional engineers tend to be more on the design side. So they're doing um, kind of, um, sometimes they're doing more of the mathematical calculations. Okay, is this bridge actually gonna stand up if I put loads of weight on it? Or, you know, or is it gonna buckle under certain stresses? Um, but otherwise, um, they might be like actually designing um, the um, wing of a Formula One car. And in fact, we're just doing a project with uh, Lewis Hamilton um, uh, to get more kids into uh, Formula One, which I'll talk about in a second because it's really exciting. Um, but yeah, so, but actually, a lot of the time, engineers are, um, they're doing lots of kind of project management work. So they're working out, all right, we need to get this done by this date in order to get the product released to market by uh, August next year. Um, and they're looking at the finances, they might be doing uh, presentations to 
different people, different stakeholders, it might be to the um, to the finance committee because they need to you know get a million pounds of investment of a new machine or something like that. So yeah, so there's a whole kind of range of different activities uh, that engineers are doing. Mostly, um, so lots of people think of engineers as like wearing a, a hard hat on a building site um, or like in overalls with muddy hands. And that's really just not the case. Most engineers work in really plush offices and use really high power computers to do cool drawings and like 3D visualizations. And what would you say are some of the um, personality traits that an engineer needs to really thrive? Um, that's really good question. Um, so we, um, so creativity is a really actually important part of engineering. And, and most people think of engineering as being, because usually if you do engineering at university, uh, you need maths and physics as kind of entry A level. Not always, um, and lots of universities are kind of broadening out their uh, entry criteria because they want to, they want a, um, um, a kind of a more diverse um, set of people to come in, not just in terms of like gender diversity or things like that, but actually just more diverse set of uh, people and their ideas and thinking skills and you know um, perspectives. So, uh, so typically you have to be kind of quite mathematical, eventually you're going to come across some math. Um, but actually, um, they, uh, you know, it, engineering sits between the creative arts and uh, the sciences and the mathematics, mathematical sciences. Um, so it, it kind of really is a kind of perfect blend of, you know, drawing, creativity and, uh, and science and thinking about, okay, the, the, the physical world that we live in. Um, so, so definitely, um, you, you need to have a kind of a, a certain kind of mathematical bent, but um, creativity plays a much more important role than than lots of people think. Um, and and then other characteristics, so like resilience, because usually uh, things just don't go according to plan, and you've got to like, oh god, okay, let's just try and work <laughs> this out again. Um, uh, there's a reason why you don't know many famous uh, engineers uh, and that's because engineers are largely working in teams so you have like super architects like um uh, Nor uh, norman foster norman foster yeah norman foster or richard rogers who like do like amazing things and then you get like the odd super engineer like um james dyson but otherwise most engineers you've never heard of because they're all working in teams um and so Teamworking becomes a really important part, and like, um, uh, yeah, so all the various kind of you know, usual communication skills and stuff like that. Um, but um, but attention to detail is also really important. Uh, so I think a lot of engineers. Um, uh, one of the things we do a lot of is really think about the problem we're trying to solve. And everyone talks about engineering, oh, it's about creative problem solving. It's about creative problem solving. Actually, a lot of it is to do with problem identifying. And people don't really think about that so much. So if you said to me, oh, Reese, I want to build a bridge across the River Thames. I'd say, well, Daniel, why do you want to build a bridge across the River Thames? How often are you going to cross the River Thames? If it's just once, then I suggest a boat might be a cheaper alternative. Um, and then we might explore a bit further and you might say, well, no, actually, I'm going to cross it quite a lot. I said, well, whereabouts? Because 
do you know what the ground conditions are like? Maybe you can't actually put the piles in to build your bridge. Maybe we need to build a tunnel. So you've, you're starting to specify and specify more and more the kind of problem that you're trying to solve. And that's what engineers do a lot of. Yeah, so, I think um, as well, um, I think everyone always considers engineers to be really good innovators. However, I've more seen that engineers are better at adapting. And so instead of reinventing the wheel, they're better at taking something and changing it and adapting that to work for a different situation. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think that's the biggest biggest thing for in my, in my opinion is being able to take something and actually apply it to something else to solve that problem because it's yeah. a lot cheaper usually than creating something new. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, you nailed it. Um, so we so we've been doing this piece of work called like the engineering habits of mind. These are kind of the the characteristics or attributes that engineers have, um, and I mentioned a couple of them already. So problem identify identifying is one of those kind of characteristics that engineers are good at. Creative problem solving is another one. But the, what, the third one is adapting. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's like saying, uh, okay, maybe, we, maybe there's a solution to our problem somewhere else and we could just find it and apply it to our own problem. Uh, so they're adapting an already existing idea to what they need to do. Or they're having to adapt their solution because the circumstances have changed. That's another way of looking at adapting. Um, the fourth uh, uh, one is improving. So what we do as engineers, we're constantly improving. And at the core, the core part of being an engineer, of an engineer is like making things or making things better, work better. Absolutely. So that's yeah. what we do. That's what we do. And the thing we differentiate us between us and scientists is that scientists are really trying, uh, curious about the world. They're trying to understand the world. We're taking that understanding, that knowledge, and applying it to solve problems. And we're trying to uh, solve those problems better and better. So we're kind of constantly improving. And the final thing uh, that we do, which is really important and becoming increasingly important, is something we call systems thinking. And systems thinking is realizing the solution you're working on might have impacts beyond what you're working on. So going back to our bridge example, um, if we do build that bridge, then actually we could really mess up all the traffic on the roads on the north and south banks of the Thames um, because suddenly more and more traffic is going around there and we've got you know traffic backing up Oxford Street or you know along Pall Mall or wherever it might be. I'm just trying to think of uh, Monopoly board places. Uh, <laughs> Piccadilly, uh, Mayfair, Park Lane, the expensive ones. So yeah, so, um, uh, so yeah, so we have to really think as like systems thinkers, what's the impact of what we're doing on other aspects of the kind of thing we're working on. And, and for you, what have been some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've had out of the career? Oh, to date? Yeah. Um, well, definitely making earrings out of pets. That was one of my highlights. Um, but uh, actually, um, yeah, no, in my job right now, uh, I've done some amazing things. And so what I really want to do is get uh, more young people into engineering because I've, I've lived it firsthand. I know how exciting it is. And it really is amazing. And not only that, but if you think about the kind of global challenges we have coming up, like um, 
uh, you know, uh, the sustain, sustainable, sustainable development goals, uh, driving a low carbon economy, and those kind of things. Actually, engineers are going to play a really important role in solving those problems, whether it's, you know, feeding uh, the world, uh, you know, reducing hunger, uh, providing clean water and sanitation, um, uh, having sustainable communities and societies, clean energy, all of those things have got engineering right at their heart. So, you know, it's, it's just an amazingly exciting time uh, to be an engineer. So one of the best things I've done um, is uh, uh, working uh, with the government, with the Department for Education in England, to kind of um, revamp the design and technology curriculum in schools to put more kind of designing and problem solving um, at its heart. Because previously it was like, can you make a bird box? Yeah. Or can you make a steady hand game? And so we've been really trying to get rid of bird boxes and steady hand games because you can do that when you're like seven, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how can you apply more like creative problem solving and thinking to something that matters to you or matters to your grandparents? Or, you know, so we're really trying to change the way design and technology is taught in schools. And hopefully that will encourage more kids uh, into engineering as well. And, and what about your uh, your recent uh, sort of campaign you're doing with Lewis Hamilton? So yeah, this is really cool. So Lewis, um, you'll have no doubt have noticed he's been quite vocal on the whole Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. and he um, he uh, said, you know, there's a real problem with lack of ethnic diversity in motorsport, and we really want to get more um, uh, black and minority ethnic uh, uh, people into the motorsport sector. So. Uh, we've been uh, working with him and his team and all the F1 teams, and we've got a whole group of commissioners uh, uh, from schools and universities and colleges and, uh, and different places to really kind of uh, look at the barriers that are preventing young people from like continuing with um, uh, motorsport. And uh, yeah, it's a super interesting project. We've only we only started it in. October, so I can't tell you what the answers are yet. Um, but it's taking up a huge amount of time, but it's really fun. And uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, such a nice guy. Um, <laughs> I, he, he gets like such a bad press. Uh, like, I think people kind of like, I, he's portrayed in the media as like being quite arrogant, but he's genuinely really lovely and uh, quite humble. And yeah, he's and really passionate actually about um, trying to improve um ethnic diversity in motorsport so it's, it's a real joy to work with him and what would be some of the less favorable aspects you've found of the industry <laughs> um well okay yeah so so diversity is is actually probably the main one uh you know with 20 what are we 2020 right and only 12 percent of the engineering workforce are women yeah uh you know this is just ridiculous you know it's so unacceptable that you know 50 percent of the, the population are women 50 percent of the working population are women 12 percent uh in engineering and we've been trying to address this for years and years and years and it's just the most stubborn and persistent nut that we cannot crack um despite all our engineering tools at our disposal um and it's funny because like um you know when someone says oh it's not rocket science. Well, you know, <clears throat> trying to get more 
uh, uh, more diversity into engineering is not rocket science. It's a damn sight harder because uh, <laughs> rocket science is quite simple when it comes down to it. It's just like physics and chemistry. But this is like psychology and society and sociology and behaviours. And it's just a nightmare. Um, but we're absolutely determined to, to you know, get this sorted out because, we, you know, we cannot carry on like this. So I think that is probably my uh, least favourable aspect of engineering right now. And, um, and that's not to say that, you know, there aren't women because they're amazing. I know so many brilliant, so many of our fellows are brilliant, brilliant women engineers. And they're just like, um, I've got so many I can tell you about. So Devlin Mitchell, she's Mrs. Airport. So she designed Heathrow Terminal 5. She designed the, wow. the new one in Saudi Arabia. She like, she's a legend of airport design. Um, I've got um, uh, uh, Eleanor Stride, who's using bubbles, right? She, she's like worked out a way of using m micro bubbles to transport chemotherapy chemicals uh, and medicines through the body, right? Wow. And, then, and then she pops them next to the tumor so that the chemi chemicals just go straight to the tumor instead of just being absorbed by all the tissues in the body. That's incredible. Like, so cool. I mean, you never think about that. You'd never think about that as engineering, but you know, she's just, oh God, amazing. Um, and then uh, my favorite uh, woman, uh, Jane Wernick, um, she uh, uh, designed the Kew Gardens treetop walk. Have you ever been on the Kew Gardens treetop walk? Very, very high, very scary. Uh, but yeah, she designed it. Amazing. And I think she had a role in uh, doing the structural engineering on the London Eye. So oh, yeah, very cool. Very, very cool people. Um, so we like to talk a little about what people could expect to earn within the industry. Um, we go away and do some research uh, and just find average figures, really. Um, yeah. And we found that beginning engineers can range from about twenty-five to twenty-seven thousand. Um, your average, you know, engineering sort of jobs are around forty thousand, and then it can go right up to you know a hundred thousand pounds maybe for senior uh, engineering roles. Does that sound right to you? Uh, yes, um, yeah, pretty much. So um, I think in terms of like first um, career earnings for a graduate. Uh, that sounds about right. And I think engineering is one of the highest paid salaries of all graduates uh, at the moment for like first career earnings. Um, the uh, mid-career sounds about right, 40. But what's actually interesting is um, lots of engineers eventually kind of um, transfer into a kind of management role. So they start managing lots of engineers. And so their title doesn't become engineer anymore. Um, they become like operations director or something, you know, whatever it might be. So in a way, they're still doing engineering, but they've kind of, um, so it's quite difficult when you're looking at the kind of higher level salaries. Um, because I, I think for me getting into engineering as well, that was one of the big things um, I, I looked for in my career progress throughout the years is I'll be able to study engineering, become an engineer, and eventually I'll be able to, you know, work my way up and, be able to manage lots of engineers which i think is something a goal of mine say so, yeah, I, I i've i feel like i've achieved um the knowledge i've got and be able to educate and help help people um in in their own careers yeah and it's so satisfying actually you know when you do work with young engineers to like 
help them progress in their careers because it's just it's so great to watch kind of you know talent develop um yeah so i i get a real buzz we do a lot of work with kind of undergraduate engineers um you know trying to identify you know potential future leaders and uh, yeah it's just really amazing when you see these kind of young people blossom uh, in their careers um so but the other thing of course is like um in the more extreme examples when you get like chief engineer for Rolls-Royce or chief engineer for National Grid, they'll be, you know, um, way above the kind of hundred thousand pounds kind of salaries that you're talking about there. And then if you're getting into, um, if you really want to talk about the high earning salaries of engineers, then let's talk about Bill Gates and um, uh, who's the guy from Apple who's dead? Uh, <laughs> Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Jobs. Uh, you know, these are all engineers. They're all like yeah. computing engineers. But you know that that what what they did uh, that for their degrees, uh, and the guy from Amazon, what's his name? Oh, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. I think he's an engineer. Um, uh, and the the um, uh, who's the guy with the Tesla cars? I'm not very good. Oh, at Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah. He's an, yeah. yeah. They're all engineers. They're all you know the richest people in the world. And the they all do computer engineering. So do that. Yeah. Yeah, computer engineering, yeah. There, there is a phrase, isn't it? The geeks will inherit the earth. Well, man, they really are now. Yeah, they're doing well, aren't they? <laughs> um, <laughs> in your uh, time as an engineer, is there anything that you, uh, something that wasn't in the job description that you never expected to come across? Yeah. Uh, yeah, people management, I suppose. And, uh, I mean, it's, it, it is the kind of, you know, as you climb your career, you will deal more and more with people management. You know, you will be running teams. And uh, that's, that's what's really interesting about when you get promoted uh, in a job is you get promoted because you're good at the thing you're doing. Um, and so you get given a different job, which is entirely different to what you were doing. Um, so yeah, so when I was um, uh, so yeah, when I was working at the academy, I was really good at kind of doing policy work. Um, but I was working for myself. I was working on my own. You know, someone would tell me what to do, and I'd go off and do it. Suddenly, I became the manager of fifteen people, uh, <laughs> and I hadn't had any kind of training as a manager. And it's really hard. And the thing that takes up most of your time when you're in a kind of management role is people, uh, because there ain't no as queer as folk as they say yeah um and uh, yeah people's um reasons for being in work and people's motivations are very different and people get upset by the strangest things uh so you have to deal with a lot of that as a as a, a kind of more senior person in any career and uh, any advice for any for any keen engineers out there that want to progress in the industry? Are there things they can do? Are there qualifications they can take, or to really sort of further their their careers? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I would, um, if you are an engineer already, or if you if you've just done an engineering degree, then your professional engineering institution is a, is a, an amazing way of networking because actually, you know, the way you career is knowing people and, and being able to kind of say oh i didn't know you had any jobs going and they say oh yeah why didn't you apply for this job um so so the engineering institutions are an amazing way of um uh, building those opportunities to kind of meet more senior people in different roles and, and things like that 
Um, and uh, and these engineering institutions have regional um, kind of uh, groups. So if you're in the northwest, if you're in Liverpool and Manchester, there's usually a you know a regional group there, or in the northeast in Newcastle, down in the southwest in Cornwall, whatever it might be. There's usually a kind of regional group, and you just get to kind of know people. Um, but the other thing is uh, keeping keeping up with the technology because things are moving so fast now. Um, uh, you know, things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, I really scratch my head with it. Um, but, you know, this is going to be such an, a central part of um, what engineers do in the future. We're really already seeing automation, robotics, um, and like, digitalization of, um, of industry happening at such a kind of pace. So get, get stuck into that, um, find different professional development programs, online MOOCs, whatever it is, um, to, to try and uh, keep pace with the, 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 the changes that are happening. And uh, would you still go into the industry knowing everything you know now? I would, I definitely would, but I would also really love to do neuroscience. Okay. Very <laughs> um, cool. Because um, there's an amazing scientist, woman, who you should definitely get on your program. Her name is Sarah Jane Blakemore, and she is a neuroscientist that studies the development of the adolescent brain. And the teenage brain is just the most fascinating thing because I've got two teen, uh, I've got one teenage girl and one daughter who's um, ten, just coming into kind of being a teenager, and um, yeah, just watching the way they develop and make decisions about careers is really fascinating, and how they, you know, their relationship with their friends, their peers, but also their parents, and how they, you know, uh, take risks and all these kind of things. It's. Uh, uh, so I, I, I'm really fascinated by uh, kind of the, the brain and the developing adolescent brain. Oh, but the other thing I really want to do as well is geology. I love rocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I love like the study of rocks. How do ro how does stuff get squeezed uh, over millions of years to turn into such amazing things? Yeah, uh, and so many crazy. different kind of like heat, pressure, and time. Uh, amazing uh, yeah so I love rocks as well thank you so much for coming on Dr Reese. it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you yeah you too great great guys thank you very much thank you again and where can people find the, uh, the Royal Academy and uh, find out what's going on and how to get involved um, well they can find it on the internet www.reng.org.uk but actually there's not much to see for young people you're better off going to this is engineering .org.uk or look up This Is Engineering on YouTube because you'll see some amazing engineers doing really incredible stuff. And then if you go to the website, you'll find much more about the different career opportunities there. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.